0: Sports Radio, 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Good morning. I'm looking out the window of my studio in Fort Collins. You know, I just got back from Nashville. It was in the 70s and 80s there. And it was in the 70s and 80s here while I was gone. And... I get back and the first day I'm back, it it snows and rains and it gets cold. But I think it's supposed to warm up well into the 50s today. This is going to blow over and then we're going to get back close to the high 60s, 70s for a few days and off and on. So we'll get some weather, different weather. But it's been a, you know, every year for the last couple of years, I say it's been a different spring. But spring seems to be a little later where it really opens up on a continual basis and it's, uh, we're learning to do th- our outdoor recreation different. We're going to talk a lot of a lot of fishing today and the second hour we're also going to talk some hunting and shooting and we're going to talk a little bit about some of the other things Parks and Wildlife does as far as maintaining uh, uh, habitat and research during the show. So we've got a lot to cover. Right now let's go to the phones and uh, joining us from St. Frank's State Park, I believe, is Brad Peterson. Good morning, Brad. Good morning, Terry. Yes, I'm uh, I'm down at St. Vrain State Park today. And what's the weather like there? It's supposed to get better fairly quickly.
1: Yeah, you know, the sun's poking out between the clouds. Um, little light breeze, but uh, it's starting to warm up for sure. And I think uh, it's going to be a good day for the uh, family event down here today. Yeah, I know that's why you're down there.
0: Before we get into some of the other fishing that's going on around the state, why don't you tell people about that event?
1: Yeah, so the ranger here at uh, State Rain State Park every year for about the last five, six years, with the exception of the COVID year, has uh, put together a family event that takes place in the Blue Heron Heron parking lot. And there's a bunch of outdoor-related groups. Uh, Parks and Wildlife has a lot of little trailers and activities here and it's just a fun good informative day for families to come down enjoy the park learn a little bit about the outdoors um, you know learn more about fishing and it's runs today starts at right now at nine o'clock and runs till two and i they've heavily stocked the uh, Saint for
0: pond so good chance you come down there you catch some trout right
1: yeah i i made it in here a little early and caught a couple before uh coming over here, so you've got a good chance at that. In the, the ponds that don't get trout, the warm water fish are starting to to go, so you have a chance at catching some of those as well. You don't have to just ch- chase trout.
0: Right. There's a number of fish at St. Brain. It's a nice little pocket there. It's got some good bass fishing. It's got bluegills and crappies and uh, even
1: walleyes. Walleyes. And, and the other thing they have uh, in a couple of the ponds, that you don't see much along the front ranges. They've got Northern Pike in a couple of these parks.
0: Right. So it's a great spot. People see it off the road, but it's great. So the event will be going on until 2 o'clock, you said? Yes. And it, the only charge there is to get into the park, right? Everything there is free.
1: Yep. every All the activities here are free. Um, so it's just a good time to bring the family down and uh, get outdoors a little bit. And I understand they do a
0: lot of fishing instruction while they're there.
1: Yeah, uh, CPW has a whole trailer set up of instruction. Um, I'm here doing a little bit of fishing tips for the area. There's another nonprofit group that's got some more high country fishing tips information. There's stuff from the hatcheries and boat safety and ANS and outdoor buddies. Those are the ones I can just see here close by. So a real diverse uh, group of activities and information they can pick up.
0: All right. So what are you seeing going on around the rest of the state, Brad?
1: I tell you what, you know, like you talked about in the opening, it's been a unique spring. It seems like we're about uh, the fish are acting like we're two weeks late, but the water temperature this past week, as warm as we got, really jumped up. Uh, I've been out fishing Union and Boyd, and I was seeing, you know, morning water temps in that 48, 49-degree range and uh, afternoon into the mid-50s. So it's a really, it's really just ready to pop, and you know I would I would guess that with this week of seventy degree temperatures coming up after the cold day today, that it should really make make for some good fishing on the bigger lakes. The little ponds have started to really turn on. The largemouth are starting to get active. They're stocking a lot of them with. Uh, trout as well and the bluegills are going but they're they're a little finicky in the mornings and the afternoons they are good one tip i would give people is they seem to be suspending a little bit in the afternoon a couple feet off the bottom so don't keep your lure all the way in the bottom keep it about midway through the water column and you're going to get more bites
0: so what do you see in that some of the lakes any species in particular let's go let's
1: start with boyd boyd right now um the white bass are going Uh, There's a lot of white bass and shad up along the north shoreline. And so that has really been the area that a lot of the anglers have been targeting. But they have stocked it with trout recently. So people even in the Marina Cove are getting into some of those. The bass, towards the middle of last week, were starting to move up shallow, the largemouth. So there were some opportunities for those. And the walleyes are just now starting to get over the spawn so their activity level is getting a little bit better so i would expect walleyes to really turn on good here in the next you know this next week speaking of walleyes what what's
0: going on with our northeast reservoirs
1: you know the northeast reservoirs are a little bit on the slow side they had ice on them until real late you know uh sterling and jumbo both had ice on them until after april 1st so they're a little bit behind normal i talked with the ranger out at jackson he said it's been slow there expects when the inlet gets turned on that things should heat up a little bit sterling the boat ramp's only been open for about a week now and the bite still really hasn't turned on jumbo the boat ramp opens today Jumbo's the real unknown out there with the low water conditions. How many fish survive? Um, so it's it's kind of a, a a roll of the dice to go out there right now. But if you're going to be out in the area, it may be worth checking out because there may be more fish survive than people think.
0: You know, um, another fish, one that does survive a lot of this and it's prevalent in a lot of these lakes. We've had questions over the last couple of weeks about catfish. Now, we're going to talk to Jim Ramsey down in the southeast later today, and there's some good opportunities going on for a lot of fish down there, including catfish but saw guys. But a lot of the lakes and ponds right around here have pretty good catfish, don't
1: they? They do. Um, you know, probably my favorite spot, to chase catfish in the the front range area is all the little ponds. These ponds all get stocked with catfish and have good numbers of catfish kind of in that, you know, two to four or five pound range, maybe topping out about six or seven. But if you want to target some bigger catfish, um, along the, the front range, the three lakes I would target is Chatfield is known for having some really big catfish and being really good. Um, kind of that catfish flat, Kingfisher area, the shallower water and Plum Creek early in the year. Then you head north and uh, Lawn Hagler. Lawn Hagler actually is one of the few lakes managed for trophy cats. They've got special regs just on the catfish there. So Lawn Hagler might not be as good of opportunity to catch numbers, but to catch a catfish in the upper 20 to 30-inch plus range is there at Lawn Hagler. So that's one to look at. Most of the people are fishing from the north boat ramp back towards the rocks on the dam. It's a little bit steeper there, and the fish get in that area or go back towards the west in the shallows when it's early. And then, Boyd, uh, Boyd's boy, really good. It's low this year. Normally where you'd be finding the catfish this time of year are the north cove and the south cove, but because the lake's low, those areas are dry. So I would say you're just going to have to experiment, maybe go off kind of that jet ski beach area to find them. But there are some really good catfish. I know last year, uh, fishing the lake, I had two catfish over 30 inches uh, brought into my boat. So there's a potential for some real big cats. And all those northeast lakes are known for having pretty good catfish, especially Pruitt, uh, Sterling, and historically Jumbos had them again. We're still i what survived out there. Um, Bait-wise, I would stick with your night crawlers, uh, shrimp. And some people may consider this weird, but a hot dog will catch a lot of catfish. So that's one to think about as well. All right. Hey, before we move on to a couple other fishing
0: opportunities, I know you wanted to make a mention of a walleye tournament that got moved from Cherry Creek to Chatfield.
1: Yeah, so if you're looking to fish the uh, front range there, um, the Colorado Walleye Trail had been planning their icebreaker walleye tournament this weekend for Cherry Creek. Due to the low water, they decided to move it over to Chatfield. So if you are looking to get out this weekend and wanting to avoid the crowds, Cherry Creek is going to be the lake to go to, and the bite at Cherry Creek is really starting to pick up. There's a lot of fish moving into that basin trolling opportunities, and they have been stocking it with trout, so shore anglers should have a good opportunity at getting into some trout as well.
0: Now, speaking of trout, um, ice-off trout, now the front range, almost everything's ice-off, but the water's still cold enough. We're both the holdover trout and the bigger bodies of water and the stock trout are going to be a great shore opportunity. They're a great boat opportunity, too, but almost all these lakes up and down the front range, you can catch trout from shore while the water's cold yet. And we're going to start seeing ice off in some of the mountain lakes, which can be just phenomenal for trout. You hearing anything there?
1: Yeah, for the ice off, what we've got going on is uh, up in the Red Feather area, West Lake is pretty much completely ice-free. Um, Dowdy is about a third ice free along the shoreline. Parvin is still pretty well ice covered. If you go down towards South park, uh, 11 mile is open. Finney is opening up. I want to say it's April 21st. Um, but check that it is not going to open to motorized boats, but it will open, uh, it will open to uh hand launch craft and then Antero is starting to lose a little bit of the ice, but um, if you want to get up there, you need to get up there soon because I think it's going to be Monday. They are going to be closing the main road there for three weeks uh, to do some uh, repairs on the road. So access to Antero is going to be limited to non existent for the next uh, about three weeks. Okay. Um-
0: You've, you're start, you're publishing now a new a fishing report. Why don't you tell us about that?
1: Yeah, so I'm doing a, a weekly newsletter that's kind of getting the information out uh, on the local Northern Colorado lakes ice conditions, where water's starting to flow in, um, trout stockings, how the bites are, and just trying to get the most up to date information as possible for people out there. It's free to sign up. You just need to go to nocofishingnews.substack.com. And I've got stuff for this entire year I've been doing it. Uh, We've got information on warm water stockings, kind of a breakdown of some sampling of a lot of the bigger lakes in the northeast region. And, again, we're just trying to get a lot of the good information out there for the anglers and up-to-date, to help you make a decision on where the best bite is and to get out and catch more fish this throughout the summer.
0: All right. And if people want information on that or on your guide service, if they want to book a trip, best thing just Brad Peterson outdoors on social
1: media. Yep. Brad Peterson outdoors on Facebook, or they can uh, give me a call at 303-829-3998.
0: All right, my friend, uh, have a good time down there. I hope you get a lot of people show up for the fishing event at St. Verain. Uh, folks, that goes on till 2 o'clock today. Lots going on there. Stop by. the, lot of booths, a lot of things happening. Thank you, Brad. All right. Thanks, Terry. You bet, Brad Peterson. We'll take a quick time out. When we come back, we're going to change gears before we talk more fishing as we're going to take you and talk about some research Parks and Wildlife is doing and some different ways of estimating some game populations. All that and more coming up on Terry Wicks from Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Listening to Terry with Outdoors, presented by Jack's else. Outdoor Gear. Jack's has locations up and down the Front Range, Fort Collins, Loveland, uh, female even female in Cheyenne, high. and of course down in uh, Broomfield and that area. So just so stop by. I You're an outdoor enthusiast. Just stop by a Jack's store and check it out. You'll be pleasantly surprised. Let's go to the phones. I'm Joining high. us from. The avian research division department of CPW is Brett Walker. Good morning, Brett. Good morning, Terry. How are you doing this morning? Where are you calling us from? Calling you from Grand Junction, sunny and warm. Is it sunny and warm? I was just gonna ask you that. I wanted to know. So you guys have got some good weather. We're supposed to after today, we're it's gonna get up to the fifties today. Then we're gonna get back, I think around seventy. But it's been a, a different kind of year. You guys you get you guys the snowpack as it started to come down over there, uh, just barely. <laughs> Boy, the high country is still pretty snowy. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be an interesting runoff, but that's not what you're to talk about. You know, people think of Colorado Parks and Wildlife, and they think about them stocking fisheries and then managing our big game licenses and our fishing licenses and our state parks, of course. But there's so many more. Uh, layers to the onion when you peel back Colorado Parks and Wildlife. And so many more things you're tasked with. And one of those is a lot of the research, especially on animals that either are or could become endangered or impact, impacted by development. And so you have to do a lot of research. And recently, one, one of those that's been under the microscope quite a bit has been the sage grouse. And you guys are finding some new ways to estimate those populations and study them, aren't you?
2: Yeah, uh, we worked with CSU, uh, USGS, and with funding from ExxonMobil, actually, uh, to do the first ever study of using uh, genetics to estimate population size uh, by collecting birds' fecal pellets in the wintertime. Now, how did you
0: estimate the sage-grouse population prior to this study?
2: Well, actually, that this was just a uh, an attempt to see if the method, the genetic method, worked. Uh, We still monitor populations of sage grouse, and they're monitored range-wide using lek counts, which are counts of males that gather on traditional strutting grounds uh, to display for females in the spring. And actually, right now is is uh, right in the middle of the greater sage grouse breeding season. It's kind of fun to watch too, isn't it? If you can do it from a distance without
0: interrupting them.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. They're, they're, uh, they're very kingly or stately birds when, when the males are out there starting. Now, when you did
0: this new form of research, um, you started getting some comparative results. What were some of the results and how did they compare to your previous results?
2: Yeah, um, one of the things we, uh, in, in many wildlife species, we know that males and females survive at different rates. And in greater sage grouse, females have higher survival than males do. So, uh, populations are typically what we would call female bias, meaning there's more females than males in the population. So we typically assume based on harvest data that this ratio was typically two females to one male. Uh, what we found, uh, in our in our genetic mark recapture estimates, is that sex ratio actually was much higher than we thought in one year, it was 3.3. And then the next year it declined to 1.5. So rather than assume a constant two to one female to male ratio, what we really need to, what we've found is that we need to uh, account for this much more uh, variation in the sex ratio across years. Well, and I think what happens there, too, is, first of all,
0: you're doing this, and we'll get into a little of the reasons why, but first of all, it's just to maintain information on the population, but also because these birds are being studied across the West to see their impact on development and oil and gas and whether they need to be protected or what affects them. But also, like most bird populations, uh, they cycle, and the rebound is really dependent on the number of females,
2: isn't it? That's right, yeah. Female in in this species, and actually many wildlife species, females are typically responsible for most of the the reproduction. Uh, In in sage grouse, this means they're responsible for all the nesting, uh, incubating the nest, and and raising the chicks, whereas the males uh, are really uh, just do the breeding at the very beginning of the season. So the number of females is actually what determines the ability of a population to grow over time. So, do you look for this new way of doing research to
0: become more prevalent? And is it you th- you believe it's more accurate?
2: Yeah, I, I definitely think it's more accurate. It's it's kind of a gold standard, um, but it's also very expensive and very time consuming. So, this is not a the genetic mark recapture technique is not something uh, that we would use everywhere or implement everywhere. We're still going to be relying on let count. Um, But as genetic analyses become cheaper and more efficient over time, which is what we're seeing um, across the field of of, of wildlife biology, um, we think that this method has a lot of promise, especially in in populations that are smaller, that we we really want to get a good handle on the number of birds that are out there uh, to know what their conservation status is. We've got a couple minutes
0: here. I want to ask you a couple questions. We'll address them as best we can. One is, uh, right now, do you have a feel for what the status or state of the sage-grouse population in Colorado and the West is? Are we on a more positive trend or a negative trend? Do you have a feel for
2: that? Yeah, and as you mentioned, um, th- there are a number of species that are known to cycle. Over time, for sage-grouse, we know that the populations go up and down. Historically, those each one of the peaks of those population cycles has been declining. So we've been trying to, you know, do uh, habitat management, um, and, you know, land use policies that, that help keep these populations, um, healthy. But right now, uh, we are going through, we're just coming out of what we would consider one of the dips. So sage grouse populations are actually fairly low. I think the good news is like compared to a lot of other, species that we hunt like pronghorn mule deer elk um, sage grouse actually do really well in the winter that's the time of year when they actually have the highest survival and that's very different than what we're seeing with our ungulate populations so i'm not as concerned about this really big winter on sage grouse as i am uh, for, for uh, big game species that we hunt in about two minutes
0: we've got we also you did some. You were involved in some study about gas and oil development and how the roads and the pads, what effect did you find those had on the sage-grouse?
2: Yeah, at CBW, we we're interested in keeping track of our wildlife populations and understanding how they responded to changes in land use. Um, in sage-grouse, one of the big issues is oil and gas development. Usually, and not surprisingly, because they're so dependent on sage-grouse, oh, on sagebrush, excuse me, um, we usually find fairly negative responses of both individuals and then over time population size to oil and gas. But in Western Colorado, we have a population uh, that's high elevation. It's we, we consider one of our our mountain populations. These populations, surprisingly, um, in breeding in winter time when they're dependent on sagebrush, we did see the normal responses with birds avoiding you know well pads during construction and drilling um, and and then basically avoiding the development in two seasons. But what's novel is that the birds in the summertime did not avoid developed areas. And in fact, they spent much more of their time uh, in or near pipelines in particular. So uh, we think that they, we may see some different responses of populations to oil and gas development, especially in these mountain areas that get a lot more precipitation and and especially because restoration is is much more effective uh, at restoring sagebrush, forbs, and grass. Well, and I think, too,
0: that you get the restoration process once the work is done, and also you get edges. Animals tend to gather on edges, and I think when you put a pipeline in, you get changes in the habitat, and creatures get attracted to edges. Now, that's just my personal observation of animals, but really we're out of time. Yeah, we're we're out of time now Brad, but really interesting information. Thanks for joining and sharing with us with some of the other things you're looking at, especially in a popular animal, a popular bird like the sagebrush, sage grouse. Thanks.
2: Thank you Terry, appreciate you the opportunity to talk to you. All right,
0: thank you so much. We will we will have you on again Brett and thank you for joining us. We're going to take a time out and we come back. We're going to take you down to the the southeast part of Colorado and the water is a little low there. But there are some incredible fishing opportunities. You might want to go early, though. And anyway, um, we're going to get some information on that and so much more. And Terry Wickstrom Outdoors presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. Let's go to the phones and joining us from the southeast area of Colorado is the aquatic biologist down there, Jim Ramsey. Good morning, Jim.
3: Good morning, Terry. How are you today? I'm doing good. I'll bet you got some warm weather down there, though. You know, it was warm most of the week, a little bit windy, but, uh, you know, yesterday we got some rain, which is really welcome.
0: You know, you, you, uh, you manage an area for fishing it's one of my favorite and i haven't been down there enough in recent years i actually did i think three three or four television shows down there in the 90s gosh that seems like a long time ago but that that area has sure been through some trials and tribulations on water uh but it, it has some great fishing i guess we should start out with uh, going through are some of the lakes in good condition what are the water levels what are you expecting
3: yeah like you said Terry some of the lakes down here well all of the lakes down here are cyclic um we go through booms and busts in water storage I I remember in the 2017 through 2020 we had good water years and everything was full and then we had a couple of dry summers and now some of the lakes are Kind of low again, uh, but we expect they'll come back again. Uh, like I said, cyclic. But uh, John Martin right now is got pretty decent water levels. It's been through winter storage, and storing water all winter long, so it's up around I think in the upper thirties, low forty thousand acre feet range. Um, good water depths. All the boat ramps are in service, and the fishery is in excellent condition. So uh, I'm encouraging anglers to get out there and start fishing. Early, you know, I've already seen some good catches coming out of John Martin for the walleye saw guys and white bass and wipers. The crappies still haven't really turned on yet there, but um, I'm expecting that will happen soon. Uh, Blue Lake has Adobe Creek Reservoir. Uh, Blue Lake has good water levels, and i uh, seen some crappie catches coming out of there already. And the other one I wanted to talk about, a uh, Ninoshi Reservoir. Even though the water levels are a little bit lower there, uh, still Still a pretty good-sized lake and lots of good fish out there for the anglers to get after.
0: Yeah, and uh, one of the things I love having you on from down there, because you not only manage it, but you're you're avid and enthusiastic because you fish it yourself. You spend a lot of time on the, on the water. And you know what those lakes down there offer you is you, it's a little bit of a drive from most of the front range where the most population base is. But you get away from the crowds down there, and there's camping available. I think there's even some hotels available in the area. And then you, you're not going to get the crowded kind of fishing, but yet some great fisheries. Uh, the, if
2: you
3: just want to catch fish, are the white bass still as prolific on John Martin? There's still a really good population of white bass in John Martin. Yes, um, and another benefit of coming down to the southeast is our limits are a little bit more liberal than the rest of the state. The uh, especially for white bass and wiper and walleye and saw guy, and we don't have any length limits either. So if if some anglers want to take some fish home, uh, it's an excellent opportunity to come uh, put some fillets in the cooler. But I think you're recommending that people should probably get down there a little
0: early we don't know i mean the arkansas river was it wasn't terrible snowpack in that drainage but it wasn't like the rest of the state and it just, you just just don't know until that runoff comes down and how much of it gets absorbed in the soil and how much gets diverted uh you just don't really know what your water and then what what the farmers
3: are going to draw there's so many variables right that's correct. Yeah, the, the spring rains really help a lot as well as the snowpack. So if we can get some good spring rains in addition to some water coming down from the mountains, then that, that's usually the recipe for success for filling these lakes up out here.
0: Now, we know most of these lakes have saugee and wa- white bass and wiper, and they're fun to catch. But I want a uh, couple different fish I want to talk about. One is you mentioned the crappies. The crappie bite down there, uh, people who are crappie enthusiasts will be pleasantly supply, surprised, right?
3: Right. Um, for years, uh, Blue Lake, Adobe Creek Reservoir, as I mentioned earlier, has been a, a crappie uh, uh, haven, a place to go to catch lots of crappie. Uh, we did When the lake got low last fall, we did lose a few crappie. We had a small fish die off out there uh, because of the low lake levels. But uh, the irrigation company filled the lake back up. And water levels are good again. And the crappie have rebounded. Uh, we've seen some good crappie catches already this spring. John Martin had last year was a really good crappie year at John Martin. And we expect another, another good crappie year at John Martin as well. Uh, water temps are still a little bit cool. They're in the low 50s. Uh, we usually see those crappies start turning on when the water temps get in the mid to upper 50s, low 60s. So we're expecting that to happen pretty soon because, like you mentioned, the weather's getting warm. I think, I think the thermometer hit 90 the other day down here, so that's going to uh, quickly speed up the warming process in the lakes. Now, in addition to the
0: saugee slash walleye, which I've done really well on down there too, I've done pretty well on
3: bass and some of those lakes down there. Are the largemouth bass still pretty prevalent? John Martin has a pretty good uh, population of largemouth and smallmouth bass. Both um, some of the other lakes we stock bass in all the lakes, and um, they can they can have some really good years of bass fishing. Uh, uh, Henry and Meredith, uh, two lakes that uh, are kind of under underrepresented, we don't talk about very much, but they have pretty good uh, largemouth bass populations in both of those lakes.
0: And the last fish I want to spend a little time on, we've had questions, people moving to Colorado from other states, and they're, they're avid catfish anglers. Um, boy, you can offer them some catfishing
3: down there. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, we have good catfishing uh, in the lakes down here in the extreme southeast. Also, Pueblo Reservoir in, in just west of Pueblo there has – some excellent catfish opportunities. Matter of fact, I was just looking at the records in the in the brochure, and Pueblo Reservoir has the record for uh, flathead and for blue cats right now. Um, John Martin and Pueblo Reservoir are the only two lakes in Colorado, I think, that get stocked with flathead catfish and blue catfish and channel catfish. So if you want to go catch one of the three big catfish species in Colorado, those are the two places to go, and there are excellent numbers of fish in both reservoirs, and the fish can get really big. I was just looking at, like I said, just looking at the state records, and uh, flathead and and blue cats are up around 30 pounds, and the channel catfish record is over 40 pounds, and those fish are available in, in both reservoirs, so uh, anglers have a good chance to go catch a really big catfish at those two lakes.
0: Well, and the, the flatheads and the blues are fairly recent introductions. It's been years, but compared to the channel cats in Colorado, I would expect, because both of those species can get quite large, that we got to be on
3: the verge of seeing some huge blues or flatheads, don't you think? Yeah, I agree. Uh, the states around us, have, just to the east of us, have uh, state records of over 100 pounds, so there's no reason to think that in a large, deep reservoir that those fish don't have the opportunity to get very, very large. And one of these days, an angler is going to catch a really big catfish out of one of those two lakes. Now, are they accessible from shore or do you have to get out in a boat? Yeah, that's the great thing about catfishing is you. it provides a great opportunity for a shore angler to catch a big fish. Uh, the uh, the difference is kind of that I wanted to highlight on between a channel catfish that is more of a bottom dwelling fish that likes to eat something that it finds on the bottom of the reservoir versus a blue or a flathead catfish a blue or a flathead catfish is more predatory they like to take a a live offering so a, a live bait fish or some sort of a even I've even heard of those those species hitting uh lures and crankbaits so those fish are more predatory and more apt to be higher in the water column than a channel catfish, which is just lurking on the bottom, looking for something to eat, where those other two species are, are actually out hunting.
0: Yeah, you're right. Cat- catfish can be, um, all the catfish can actually be very predatory. I've caught all three on lures, so it's, it's amazing how pr- aggressive they can be. And boy, I tell you what, when you hook into a big one, they will pull your string. I caught one pushing 20 pounds in the spillway below, Low Pueblo and I was fishing for trout and I had my hands full. Let me tell you, it was, it was, it was, but it was amazing. It was fantastic. We've got to run any last comments, Jim.
3: Yeah, I was just going to mention the lakes in the extreme Southeast Colorado and area 12 where I work, um, offer some other opportunities for catfish. You know, um, we talk about catfishing using rod and reel and, and bait, but also, uh, out here, there are some opportunities for people that like to try trot lining or jug fishing, and those are two other popular methods of catching catfish.
0: They, they sure are. In fact, I have a video from Texas where on my television show that my fill-in host went down there and jug fished for for catfish. If people want to see that, go to the Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom and just Google jug fishing, and you'll uh, it's 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 quite an experience. Jim, thanks for joining us. You always do such a great job, and your enthusiasm for those fisheries is really appreciated. You bet, Terry. Happy to do it, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. All right. Thanks, Jim. Jim Ramsey, we'll take a quick timeout. When we come back, we're going to be joined by a Hall of Fame angler, and he's going to tell us why he's using less bait than he ever has on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. <music> Got you down And the world's crashing all around You can always count on me You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan Brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear Count On Me is one of the songs From Wickstrom and Dobris Current EP that's in circulation On all your favorite streaming sites So give a listen and give us some feedback Let's go to the phones Joining us, he's a respected member of the outdoor community. He's a Hall of Fame angler. He's an accomplished angler. And he's the host of Lake Commandos TV. Did I read that the way you wrote it, Steve Panaz? <laughs> oh <my goodness. laughs> no, but I owe you ten bucks. Good <laughs> <laughs> morning, Steve. I've left out the fact that also, also also you've become a very good friend and somebody I respect in the industry and it's great to have you on. Thank you, Terry. Feels mutual. Yeah. Um we were talking we 've been talking a lot of fishing this hour we 're going to talk some more hunting next hour we 're going to talk a lot of fishing next hour too gosh we've got a lot of stuff to cover but one of the things you and I have talked about is over the years how much we 've migrated away from actually using live bait you know there's it's you have to keep bait alive you have to transport it there's so many regulations on where you can use it and how you can use it we use I, I think you and I both have found ourselves more and more drifting to using soft baits and some are plastic some are other materials and of course we use a lot of the same ones and uh we've really had a lot of success and are really getting away from live bait don't you think
4: yeah one of the things i found is and it goes way back into the 60s when that walleye fishing kind of exploded like on the market everybody was talking about live bait rigs, rigs and you know super ultra light light uh tiny hooks and just this very finesse situation. And we all grew up thinking that's the only way to go. Hey, and there's times when live bait is the ticket. It's the only way to get bites, you know, if, if it's minnows or leeches or crawlers, depending on what the situation is. But there are times, and I'm finding more often that I'm finding more fish on plastics than I was on live bait because I'm fishing more water, I'm fishing more aggressively, and, and plastics do a much better job of triggering strikes versus live bait where you really want them to feed and the difference between feeding and triggering is completely different. I mean, it's, it's kind of a reaction. You, you rip that bait by a, by a fish, they react almost naturally to bite. And there's times when, when plastics will outfish like 10 to 1 or more. I mean, oh. it's, it can be really deadly.
0: Oh, just because you, you hit it right on the nose when you said the reaction. Now, <clears throat> with some of the advancements in scents and flavors in live baits and soft baits, Uh, You can almost fish them like live baits, but a lot of times you don't. And we we used to be with negative fish, we would downsize and slow down and keep that bait right in front of the strike zone and hope that they would feed on it. With a reaction strike, a lot of times we get more negative fish to react than we would have with those downsizing. And I think a lot of that, too, has been the development and not only the styles of soft baits, but the the, most styles and ways you can fish them, don't you think?
4: Yeah, I'll never forget years ago I was on a trip with a, a lure builder and we were on top of a, a deep pump, 30 feet of water, just loaded with walleye. The arcs were everywhere. And I'm dragging a live bait around it and we're catching a fish every 20 minutes, half hour. And, and uh, finally he pulls his rod up and he says, I can't do this anymore. He goes, I make baits for a living. <laughs> so he says, what do you recommend? I said, put on a 3A zone head, grab one of your soft plastics, drop it to the bottom and rip it up like you're setting a hook and just keep repeating doing that. And on his third rip, he caught a fish, and then he caught another one on his next drop, and then he caught another one on his next drop. And I immediately switched over. And I remember we I counted we had thirty-two walleyes in the next hour, and at a time when we were catching them every fifteen minutes or twenty minutes per fish. So it goes to show you that's the situation uh, where you know you really can uh, find better success at times when you're fishing more aggressively.
0: Are there a couple <clears throat> excuse me, a couple soft baits that really find their way into your repertoire a lot and how do you rig them?
4: Well there's there's four different categories of of plastics. You've got the, the minnow base like the gulp minnow or the power minnow. It's just kind of a minnow profile with a, a straight tail. You've got the curl tail grubs which have been around for decades, if not generations now. They still produce very well. You've got the paddle tails, which have a much bigger sweep in the back, and you've got some that are faster you got some that are slower but you still got that you know, profile and one of the things that i use a lot believe it or not are actually the plastic worms the seven inch power worms with the curl tail can just be dynamite especially when you're targeting weed wall- walleyes where you can get the, the bait in through the grass and, and rip it through there and, and it gets lots of strikes so those are four different categories of plastics. all of them have their place and all of them work <laughs>
0: So do you, do you rig a little? Well, first of all, you know, you mentioned you can cast, you can, uh, you can cover more water. Another advantage of soft baits is, you know, when you're using bait, it's hard to make long casts. And with the forward-looking sonars we have now, a lot of times you're casting out the fish, and it's important to get a long cast more accurately than it is to keep that bait on, which with bait, will fall off. With plastics, you have a lot more versatility. So do you find yourself rigging different?
4: I do. I find myself fishing longer spinning rods of like a seven to seven three, seven four, slightly soft tip. And I'm throwing it on six or eight pound like fire line or like a X five braid. With a, with a floral or even a, a monoliter of a couple two two, three feet. The advantage of that, what it allows me to do is make super long casts. Now the ice just went out on our lake yesterday. These walleyes are gonna be up on these flats in these two to four to six feet of water. And they're going to be spooky. I mean, they, even with a trolling motor, they're going to they're going to be spooky. So you want to be able to make long casts, and uh, that braid allows you to do that. Also gives you good hook sets. and then you can adjust the size of your jig head based on the plastic that you're using and the presentation that you're trying to achieve. And and uh, it's a very deadly method because it's so adjustable on the situations. You know,
0: I think the biggest change I made in my couple of things in my soft bait fishing. First of all, I'm going to ask you a question. And I'll get back to it. And that's ice fishing. I, a lot of my transition away from bait into soft baits happened during ice fishing, but I was always more of a finesse soft plastic guy, fishing spots in the weeds and small jig heads and stuff. But with the paddle tails and a few of these swimming baits, I've gone to heavier jigs and I fish them almost more like crankbaits.
4: Oh, absolutely. One of the biggest mistakes that I made in uh, early on and the biggest mistakes a lot of anglers make is when you're first fishing this, you you think that you've got to go finesse. And actually, the opposite is true. I mean, I'll go to half, three-quarter, even an ounce or more on some of those larger paddle tails just because um, I need to control the bait and not have the bait control my jig. And so that's the important thing, just make sure the head is large enough to control it. But I think
0: one thing that really put me over the edge of going <clears throat> almost exclusively to soft baits, like you said, you know, there's times when you need some bait, but ice fishing, I was able to see the fish responding to my jigging and my lures with artificials and got confidence and then used that confidence in the open water. And I think the biggest thing with fishing more soft baits is anglers just need to, go out and probably fish them when the bite is good, not when it's bad, and get confidence in those baits. Don't you think so?
4: I think so. I think one of the challenges that all anglers have is is confidence. And if, If you want to go learn a new technique, the best way to do it is just leave everything else back at the boat ramp and go out and dedicate an hour or two. One of the things with the format of Lake Commandos is we pick a pattern and we have to make it work. And I've found many, many times over the last... 150 episodes now, that we're finding that uh, these patterns work very well. You just got to tweak them sometimes, and um, it's. Uh, but if you're not, if you're lacking the confidence to fish plastics, just leave the dock with nothing else and just dedicate yourself to learning it because it'll be worth the time that you spend.
0: Well, I'll tell you right now, there's a couple lakes around here that if I could only have one or two baits, I'd have a handful of jig heads. I'd have a paddle tail and a gulp minnow. Uh, and if I was going to Largemouth Lake, I'd add I'd add a 7-inch power worm. But with those baits in my hand, I'm pretty confident that I can go almost anywhere and catch warm water fish. I just, uh, I just have a great – and almost anything that swims in Colorado. Steve, we're almost out of time. Do you want to tell people where they can find more information about you and all your ventures?
4: Yeah, we're on uh, Outdoor Channel uh, Sunday mornings at uh, ten or 11.30 Eastern time, so uh, would it would be 9.30 Colorado time. And uh, we've got a few more weeks left, well, several weeks actually left in the season. The whole goal of the program is we go to a new body of water and try to figure it out on camera. And everybody knows how hard it is to go to a new lake and try to catch fish. And the biggest challenge in fishing is really how to build a pattern, and that's our whole goal in every show, and I think we show – our viewers, uh, a process that works for us and it can work for them as well.
0: Well, and you have some uh, great shows. You know, I'm a fan. Uh, actually folks, I wrote an article in the Denver post about his show a few years ago, and it really does show you the two people, not only competing, but competing against the lake and how you change techniques and how you, the thought process. And it's uh, one of my favorite shows, Steve, we're out of time. Thank you for joining us.
4: thank you. I sure appreciate the opportunity, and I hope everybody has a a chance to get out fishing this week. Yep, we're going to have some good weather,
0: and we'll make it happen. You and I have to get on the water, my friend. I agree. I agree. All right. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Steve. Yeah, have a great day. Bye. You bet. Steve Panaz, just a great, great person, and, you know, he's just a – just a good, good. He's one of the really good guys in the outdoor community. Speaking of good guys in the outdoor community, we're going to take a time out, and when we come back, Nate Zelinsky's is going to join us, and we're going to talk two segments. We're going to do a fishing segment and a hunting segment with our friend Nate Zelinsky on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan.